Hi, everyone. Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined today by uh, Garrett. Hello, everybody. And Tarek, as usual. Hello, everybody. <laughs> We're still doing that voice. It's kind of like, it's kind of cute. My Dr. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, to, today we're talking about uh, customizing Glocks. Uh, we're talking about making them better and making them worse uh, because ultimately lots of people make them worse when they think they're doing things that make them better. Should be an exciting topic. Between the three of us, there's quite a bit of experience doing this. Um, between the two of them, there's a lot of experience. On my side, there is a, there's, there's a bit, but not nearly as much as, as the other two. So uh, Tarek, won't you uh, make our uh, American friends happy and do the voice? Your warranty doesn't have diplomatic immunity. Fucking <laughs> <I think> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> On a serious note, guys, before we start, just something to bear in mind. If you modify any pistol, and, and I can't think of a pistol that this doesn't apply to, if you modify it away from factory spec, you are going to lose your warranty and you could very well make it work worse than before you started. So official Glock guy hat on. Um, if you fuck around with your pistol and it doesn't work, it's your fault. And if you can't shoot, fucking around with your pistol is not going to fix that. If you can shoot, some mods can make it work a little bit better for you. Uh, but bear in mind, whatever you do to that gun, there is going to be a trade-off. Uh, so when the factory puts something together on any gun and the trigger's a little bit heavier than you like, the trade-off for that is it sets off more ammo. The nicer and sexier you make the trigger, the less or the more sensitive it's going to be about different ammo. So please bear that in mind the whole time. If you modify your gun and it doesn't work, it's on you. You're a grown-ass adult. Take the consequences. There we go. I hope everyone got that loud and clear. Um, also bear in mind that there are modifications that are temporary. Not that it matters from a warranty standpoint, but there are modifications that are temporary and can be undone. There are modifications that cannot be undone. Bear that in mind before you start doing them. Um, and if anyone says, I have a Dremel, trust me, I'm a gunsmith. Or the way that I prefer to say it, I have a Dremel, I'm basically a gunsmith. They're lying. Don't trust them. Don't let them near your guns. Uh, so Gaz, do you want to lead us in with... Uh, Wherever you choose to start with this, and we'll, we'll go from there. I, I think that one of the most important things that people talk about, in, and specifically in the Glocks, is their triggers, um, that they pretty poor out the box and all those kinds of things. Never mind the fact that they're perfectly suitable and they're perfectly reliable. It is something that probably gets modified the most on the Glocks, apart from changing your sights. Most pistols, you're going to change the factory sights anyway. Um, so there's a few different ways and approaches that you can run into modifying your triggers. And obviously each one, depending on where you start, can incrementally and fundamentally change things more and more. So if you take your stock lock and you put some lighter springs in it, there's the trade-off of um, having uh, light strikes or not having the striker being able to ignite the ammunition reliably. And obviously that's a big problem in any environment, whether it's competition or self-defense. Obviously, the consequences of that are two different extremes. Um, if you go into more detail and you start changing connectors, trigger bars, trigger shoes, and you start getting more invested in that, obviously, you're increasing that risk of potentially multiplying the chances of you having issues on, on that system. 
So that's something to keep in mind with the triggers. I don't know what your guys' view might be on them. Let us let, let's see what you say. So I think that um, for carry purposes, the and and for competition purposes too, but for carry purposes, I think that the triggers that blocks come out with out the box are perfectly fine. They do not need to be messed with for you to be able to shoot really good groups. I and mean, I've shot some damn impressive groups in front of Tarek from a stock 19 at like 22, 23 meters. What was that? 20 meters. Yeah, it was about 25 yards. Yeah. I mean, it, that was a, that's probably the best group that I've ever shot with a Glock, but I've shot a damn impressive group with a stock Glock 19 shooting really hot ammo. Uh, the trigger wasn't holding me back one bit. I think on the competition side, um, having a lighter trigger might be a, a, a good thing, but I find that with the pop over to, to different style of gun for a moment, but with the 1911s, I don't really care if the trigger is super light. Um, I care more about how that trigger feels than the amount of pressure I need to make the gun go off. And I think that's where a lot of guys get things slightly wrong is they're going for the absolute lightest trigger that they can have. And then what you end up with is on the, on the Glocks, at least because of the way they work, you end up with, with no feeling. Um, you have a trigger that you pull through by accident while you think you're staging it because you, you've got no idea where, where it is. Um, and I've seen guys do that on the range where, where they've messed with triggers to the point where they're just, they're too light to be, to be useful. Still ignite ammo, but they're just, You've got none of that feedback that I like in a trigger. Uh, T, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of people mistake a, a light trigger for a good trigger, uh, and the two are not necessarily the same thing in any gun. Um, and with Glocks, the, the trade-off is the lighter you go on the trigger, generally the mushier the brake's going to be, generally less the less aggressive the reset's going to be. Not that we shoot to reset, but... Uh, it does help if you know if, if if the trigger's coming forward with a little bit of force. Um, so yeah, it's it's a mistake we see quite often that guys go, oh, I'm I'm going to try and push for this two pound trigger, and you end up with a gun that actually doesn't shoot that great because there's just there's no feel, there's no you know the, you, you're not going to get you can't get a decent rhythm on it. Um, from a carry gun point of view, yeah, you know, <laughs> the Gen Four triggers were were a little bit heavier than than previous gens and 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 the Gen Fives. The Gen 5 trigger, to my mind, is probably the best trigger Glock's ever done. Um, and a Gen 5 trigger with a factory minus connector is a, is a really nice trigger. The best trigger job you can give most pistols, but the best trigger job you'll give a Glock is go shoot 5,000 rounds through it. Um, yeah, we can change bits out and it does help, but I, I'd rather have a, a Trigger that's running around five pounds, but that is is sort of smooth and doesn't have hitches and and is clean and and that that a big part of that comes from from shooting the gun. That sort of that sort of wear. And I've seen a lot of polish jobs that guys have done because the internet is full of instructions on how to do polish jobs. That that one of two things happen. A nicely done polish job can be a thing of beauty, but I've seen two things happen quite often. One where it just once again turns into a mushy mess, where the guy goes, "Check out my awesome trigger." And it might be light, but it's once again just there's no there's no feel to it. There's no there's you know it's like driving in a car with a car with electronic power steering. It's light, but you can't you can't feel what the car's doing in a corner. Um, the corner, the car guy is getting that. No, that that is an excellent analogy. Like that, um, 
And the other side to that that we see quite often is guys start um, interfering with the safety of the gun. Uh, you know, you start having guns running running doubles or triples, so firing two or three rounds on a, on a trigger pull because they've messed up the relationship with the cruciform and the firing pin. So <laughs> Dremels, you know, I've said before, and I stand by this, I don't think you should have to license a gun. I do think a Dremel tool and a reloading press should require severe licensing and at least 12 months of training um, <laughs> because those are dangerous things that people do stupid things with. Uh, basically a gunsmith, dude. I'm basically a gun. I have a receipt for a Dremel that says so. <laughs> and you know, one of the one of the funny things, and it's it's kind of a hard thing to describe on a podcast as opposed or even on a video as opposed to to feel, is I've I've played around with obviously with Gaz's gun, with Grant's gun, who are, are two guys who are doing really good things with the Glocks in this country. Um I've played around with a couple of international guys, Glock triggers. The guys are doing really well. Their triggers are generally not quite as light as you would expect. You know, people have got this thing in their mind that they're going to pick up this gun and it's magically going to be a Glock with a 1911 trigger. And if you want a 1911 trigger, don't buy a Glock. Uh, if you want a gun that runs and runs and runs, buy a Glock. If you want a gun that doesn't always run so lacquer but has a fantastic trigger, buy a 1911. Um, but a Glock's never going to have a 1911 trigger. And, and, and anything you do to try and make it a 1911 trigger is going to almost always affect reliability and safety, um, or at least one of those, uh, because of how the three safeties in the gun and work. So, uh, yeah, a trigger you can shoot well. Once again, it's it's not ha- standing in the gun shop and going, "Ooh, this feels really nice." It's actually going to shoot the gun. I, as a silly example, I uh, I recently I had a, a slightly reduced power firing pin spring in my in my carry gun, my G48. I've gone back to the factory spring um, because uh, even though it's slightly heavier, I have a better feel. I can shoot it better. Um, it's a little bit more forgiving. You can be a little bit more aggressive on it. And and now that I've shot the gun a little bit and it's it's slicked up a little bit, um, I find it shoots better. I can get better results. Doesn't feel exactly as nice, but when I'm shooting the gun, I can get better results. With with the slightly heavier, which what is now a factory trigger system that's just had a little bit of wear on it, as opposed to the the, the lighter striker spring I had in there earlier. Just uh, yeah, something else to sorry sorry guys, just something to mention. Um, if you're having issues with your stock trigger in your brand new Glock, um, maybe lube the gun as per the uh, the, the the factory instructions, because I have seen some guys who are like. Oh, my trigger is so rubbish. Oh, and then you go, well, have you ever lubed this thing? <laughs> I have a drop of stuff in my bag that'll fix that. <laughs> and and in the manual that no one ever reads, there there is a, a whole description about how important that particular lube point is. The yeah. funny story about that, I've seen I've seen that twice. I've seen this in my own eyes twice in my life. Uh, guys with uh, with a Glock where. When they decided to clean it, what they did is they'd spray it with a, you know, with brake cleaner or something like that. Um, so, so they degrease it, degrease it, never lube it because it's a Glock and it doesn't need lube. Ladies and gentlemen, Glocks need a little bit of lube. Um, degrease it, degrease it, degrease it. And, and where that trigger bar meets the connector, you've got two pieces of metal dragging across each other. And if you degrease that, the, the sort of coating that they've both got on, which is quite slick, eventually starts wearing up, wearing. And when you take two pieces of bare metal and scrape them together, you don't get the nicest, slickest feel. And I've seen it twice where, where they actually got to the point where they couldn't pull the trigger on the gun. Um, 
Not that it had physically seized, but just that it reached a point where they couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, and, and in both cases, strip the gun, get some lube in there. The trigger wasn't fantastic because those surfaces are never going to be the same, but the gun was workable. So, uh, yeah, and, and I've had a fair amount of guys come in with guns and they bet you moan about the trigger. And on quite a few, give it a, a detail strip. Don't do that if you're not actually trying to um, get some lube on the connector where it meets the trigger bar. And it's like you've done a trigger job in a lot of cases. Yeah, and coming back to the springs quickly, I'm glad Tarek mentioned that if you go too light on the springs, the trigger doesn't have that positive reset. In my experimental processes and learning the Glock triggers and experimenting with them, the lighter I went on the springs, the more I felt I was chasing the trigger. In other words, I was ready to shoot again, but the trigger wasn't. The trigger Mm. was way behind my trigger finger. So it wasn't sort of keeping up to that speed. And the other thing to keep in mind, going back to polishing triggers, is remember that whenever you polish something, it requires you to remove something. It's not a case of Mm. you smearing it to make it shiny. You're actually removing things. And that's what makes that process more technical and more complicated than what most people give that process credit for. Never mind making sure that you're polishing and applying the correct techniques to the correct places within that trigger group or the components thereof. Mm. Crucially important. So polishing sorry. stuff isn't just take sorry T, isn't just like you see in some of the drop-in connectors and things for locks where the entire thing is just polished to the point where it's shining like a mirror. Okay, most of that is useless. Um, mm. It looks cool if the thing has been manufactured to an oversized tolerance and then gets polished down to the right tolerance while being completely smooth. But for a correct polish job, what you want to do is you want to polish only the areas that are going to naturally get rubbed down. In the normal firing process, you're basically just accelerating the wear a little bit in the correct places. If you accelerate that wear in the wrong places, you're going to end up potentially with a gun where the safeties that should be in place no longer work or no longer work consistently. They might appear to work at times, but do not polish your own stuff if you don't have the the prerequisite experience to do that. Highly dangerous, potentially. And and bear in mind, even if you're polishing the right parts, you're you're accelerating wear on those right parts. If you're not checking that, that that everything's working consistently and you don't know what to check, um, you could in, end up in a situation where you've got firing pin safeties failing or something like that because you've messed them up. Uh, so, yeah, on the trigger thing, I, I, a classic example I, I had on a, um, a course a few years ago, our pitch is up with a Glock 23, which is carrying an appendix. Um, he's shooting the gun has a couple of light strikes and that i uh i have a look at his gun because he's you know it's got a it's got an aftermarket trigger i won't mention any brands uh <coughs> and uh the guys at the and I'm, it's actually i don't think it's the trigger's fault the guys at the gun shop who di- didn't we're not trying lock armors um who fitted the, the trigger setup for him set it up in such a way that they managed to completely disable the drop safety um they tr- set it so far back that the trigger was sitting on the firing pin safety and starting to disengage that. So the only thing kind of stopping that gun firing was like a two and a half pound engagement on the trigger. Um, you know, because I've also seen their, their trigger safeties fail on some of the aftermarket triggers. So I told him he wasn't shooting that gun on my course. We ripped out those parts, put the factory parts in. And shock horror, he shot the gun better. Uh, with the factory parts than he did with the six grand aftermarket trigger kit. Uh, and I've seen that 
that's that sort of situation happened more than once. But that was a, a scary one where he, he disabled his safeties. He, he he disabled what is a very safe design. He'd taken all of that away. Well, he hadn't taken it away, and he wasn't aware of that. And I don't honestly think the guys who'd set it up were aware of that. They just thought they were giving it a, a nice trigger. If the over-travel in your Glock trigger is your drop safety. It's the thing that stops the firing pin moving forward until the trigger's been pulled all the way back. Um, so anything you do to remove that over-travel is working towards disabling the drop safety, sometimes to the point where it's completely disabled. Uh, that's something to bear in mind. Understand if you're going to modify the machine, you need to understand how the machine works um, and not just grab handle, pull trigger. You, you need to understand how the mechanics of that particular machine work before you start modifying them and disabling some of those things. So, And that's not just me saying that because of, of where I work. That's an important thing to bear in mind with whatever gun you've got, wherever you, you, you're messing around with triggers, is that you could end up in a situation where you're, you're negatively affecting the safety of the gun for something, especially on a carry gun, that's not going to make a massive difference. Um, you know, you don't you don't need a two pound trigger on a carry gun. Um, in fact, to be honest, I don't want a two pound trigger on a carry gun. Um, you know, I, I don't think you need to have a New York trigger or, or, or something that silly. But I wouldn't mind a trigger on my carry gun to be slightly forgiving and give me that opportunity to start pulling the trigger and realize that this oak has now changed his mind and I can stop. Yep. This is yeah, that, and that classic uh, 1911. I'm just going to just file on the hammer and the sear a little bit. Mm. And guys, like they, they don't get it because they don't understand how the machine works. But it's not just how those two surfaces interface in terms of smoothness. It's also the angles at which they meet. Mm. You mess with those angles, you're ending up with a gun that might feel better when you shoot it, but it becomes unsafe. Um, you, you have to understand. Like Derek said, the over-travel on your Glock triggers, Glocks are, and, and most striker guns, there are some, some pre-cocked, but most striker guns are, uh, are, are sort of partially cocked. Actually, and no. Act. Most striker guns are fully cocked. Really? Yeah, most, most of them are. Uh, VP9, M&P, 320, PPQ. Um, I'm sure Full there's cock. others I'm not thinking of. Yeah, so I'm, uh, so I'm aware of the Walters and I'm aware of the, of, of the uh, like the strike one is, is fully cocked. The uh, M&P, 320. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, so most of those are, they're either fully cocked or they're... Um, I think the technical term is a ball here away from fully cocked. So <laughs> if you pull the trigger on the Glock, you've got that, that, that take up is you, is you cocking the striker or the firing fence. Um, on an M&P, as an example, there is a degree of cocking happening, but for all intents and purposes, it's not. It's, it's almost like if you take an old CZ-75 on single action and pull the trigger, you'll sometimes see the hammer go back slightly. Yeah, and then it goes. Single action. There, a lot, not all of them, but but... But a lot of them, and especially now as, as guys are trying to chase better triggers in bunny ears, um, a lot of them are, are fully cocked or, or as near as damn it to it. The, the safe action on the Glock is, is a pretty unique system. No, 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 that's, 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 that's a good clarification. <laughs> so the, the problem is that because you are, you are completing the cocking of the striker in your Glock by actually pulling the trigger, the closer you get that, that trigger to the break in the beginning before you touch the trigger, the closer you are to actually setting that thing off, which is exactly mm. what Terek said. You, you, need to, 
you need to bear in mind that the more you, you set that trigger back, the more you are pre-cocking that striker. Um, it gets you a lighter trigger, not safe. Sorry. Yeah, and I can, no, no, it's not a problem. I can attest to any brand adjustable trigger shoe that you get for the Glocks. You need to pay very careful attention to how you set those up. Like Terex scene, I've seen the same thing where they've been ad adjusted to the extremes to the point where the gun is completely unsafe. So keep that in mind and make sure that you look after that because from use, those adjustments can change towards the unsafe end. So make sure that you're monitoring all those things as well. And that goes in line with being able to check all of those different mechanical functions that you're getting in that trigger group and how that relates to the gun's operation. I think one of the things that we probably want to discuss is um, frame stippling and frame modifications that the guys are going through specifically on Glocks. You know, you've got the laser stippling, you've got hand stippling. Uh, from the competition side, you can do silicon carbide. And then obviously you get the pre-cut grip type stuff like from Talon Grips. And I think the Alti Grips are some guys locally making some stuff. I don't know what your guys feel is on that, but obviously that's a fairly significant modification that once it's done, most of them, except for that adhesive grip tape, can't be undone. Yeah, so my feeling on this is if it is a, a match gun, ask Grant. He can attest to this. Make sure that whatever modifications you are applying are actually legal in the division that you're you're intending to shoot that gun. Um, <laughs> Good point. So, well presented. so so things like undercutting and things may may present fantastic advantages in some instances. Um, things like stippling, too. But bear in mind that for some competitions, stippling won't be legal, and undercuts won't be legal. Um, for some, stippling might be legal, but they have to follow certain predetermined paths of the, the grip area. Otherwise, it's not legal. Um, you, if it's a match gun, bear that stuff in mind before you approach any other stuff. Um, as far as stippling your actual gun yourself at home with your, uh, your, your soldering iron you bought specifically for that purpose, I think that's a bad idea. Um, in the States, you see a lot of guys do videos on how to do this. And the reason they can do that is not only is buying Glock frames a little bit easier over there, buying aftermarket frames is also easier. So if you mess it up, it's actually a couple of bucks, but it's, it's no biggie. Over here, um, a, a Glock frame is considered to, to be a, a licensed part. It's a serialized part. Uh, if you mess it up over here, like, dude, <laughs> don't do it. Um, there are some guys who can do really decent uh, sort of undercuts and things. Gaz, uh, <coughs> DVC tech dots. <laughs> okay, so well, now we've plugged Gaz a little bit. There are some guys who can do some some decent things locally and, and who are really well practiced and, and have the required patience and, and precision skill to do it properly. Don't do it yourself. Even the undercuts, just polishing that that little area that where some people get lock knuckle from. Don't do it yourself. Um, it requires a little bit of experience and getting the messing up the angles and things at which you do that can make the gun worse to shoot rather than better. You you have to have some idea of what changes in that profile does before you do it. That said, my I only currently I own a couple of locks, but I only have one license at the moment. Uh, and that one is 
I'm running some of that Talon uh, rubberized grip tape that, that Kaz mentioned on it. Um, I can shoot the gun fine with or without it. Uh, I, I put it on as an experiment uh, to see what it did for me. I don't think it did much, but it's lasted many thousand rounds and it hasn't come off the gun. And uh, I now quite like the feel of it, despite the fact that I don't think it actually made any noticeable difference to my ability to shoot the gun. Um, <clears throat> I'm not doing any stippling or anything on, on any of my guns that I intend to carry. Uh, stippling can be a little bit harsh if it touches the skin and things, uh, if it's your carry gun. can give you better grip, but also it might make the gun unbearable to carry in certain situations. See? I've, I've kind of, I've come full circle on this a little bit as well. So um, for the longest time, I carried a, a pretty much bone stock G17 because I was poor and couldn't afford to change anything on it. Um, then I've had guns stippled and finger grooves taken off and undercuts and double undercuts and all that kind of cool guy shit. Um, and I don't own any of those guns anymore. Um, I found a lot of those mods, and, 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 and it's something we need to bear in mind. A lot of those mods, guys look at cool pictures of Instagram and try and make here, and there's stuff happening on the inside that they may not be doing. So um, dude files off your finger grooves because it feels really awesome. And all of a sudden you notice, and this has happened to me, that when you've gripped the pistol tightly, you can feel the frame flexing in your hand. Um, and uh, I know Ben of Allside Solutions in the States has mentioned that there, is, there are things he does in the, in the inside of the gun, and I don't know what they are, to kind of get around some of that. So with, with Gen 4 and Gen 5, I honestly don't really think there's a huge need for, for stippling. Um, you know, that they have a really good bit of traction as it is. Um, the Gen 3 RTF was fantastic, but it was rough to carry up against your body. Um, but the Gen 4 and Gen 5 guns have have really good texture as it is. Um, the undercuts and all of that, to be honest, they're cool. I don't notice it when I'm shooting it. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I just, I, I think... Uh, I can understand why people do it, but I think a lot more people are doing it for the grams than for any sort of real benefit. Uh, my 48 has got a set of the rubber talon grips on it. Um, the 48 is slightly less. It, it's not quite as rough as the Gen 4, Gen 5 texture. And having normal size hands like I do with quite a slim gun, bulking it up ever so slightly and giving it a little bit more traction just helped me. I can shoot the gun fine without it. But uh, it's one of those things where I find it offered a small benefit, and I'm not I'm not doing anything to the long term to the durability of the gun. So, yeah, I think make sure if you're getting the gun stippled, um, make sure you you understand why you're doing it, and and make sure that the reason is for a practical reason, not because you uh, uh, you wanted a gun that looks good on the grams. I've also seen a lot of guns stippled in the wrong places. Uh, where guys stipple it and it looks all cool and there's no extra traction where you're trying to put friction with your hands uh, which kind of defeats the object completely so yeah uh, you know like the carbide grips that, that Gaz has done on, on, on some of his competition guns from a competition point of view if, if you're going to be shooting standard or open or something where you can do that, um, that you've got and, and if your hands are tough enough because jokes aside a lot of people's hands aren't they give you amazing traction um, 
am I going to carry a gun like that? No, I'd probably rather put an unsheathed knife down my, the front of my pants and try and carry that around with me. Um, but from a shooting point of view, from a competition gun, I think that's a superior solution to any of the stippling I've tried so far as well. It just gives better traction. Yeah. I think so you, that as well, the one thing to keep in mind is that when you, if you're going to run some sort of adhesive grip enhancer, like Tarek and Cornet have mentioned, the um, the talon rubberized grips, you also get the, I, I like to call it the sandpaper one, but it's essentially a silicon carbide on an, an adhesive backing. That you can put on as well, but that against your skin is going to be much the same as silicon carbide. It's going to become quite unbearable and it's probably going to hurt you quite badly. So keep that in mind. Competition, it works well. My experience with grip tape is it worked for a while. I tweaked my grip a little bit. And now with the way I'm applying pressures and how I hold the gun, the grip tape gets peeled off the gun no matter how I apply it within about a week or so of dry fire and live fire. So keep that in mind as well. Make sure that you do keep testing it and make sure you monitor that it's not sort of losing its adhesion anywhere on the frame, um, especially from a, a carry gun perspective as well. Obviously, the consequences are much higher there if you're not maintaining those things. It's something extra to maintain. It is a modification. Yeah, so that's um, exactly where I was going with this when Gaz started talking, is is the, the, ad, the adhesive uh, grip enhancers. The talon rubberized ones have been fantastic. I have been unable to, and I haven't tried to peel them off, but in, in shooting them, I have been unable to make them move off the gun, um, no matter how how I grip it or how I sort of rub my hands against the things that doesn't move. Uh, on my you match your, guns, your big strong IT hands is not are not ripping it up. Well, Eric's <laughs> <laughs> being a little bitch. <laughs> um, I did find that the uh, that the more sandpaper like. Uh, items I tried on my match guns seriously didn't last. Um, so, if you're going, if it's a if it's a competition gun, I would seriously consider having that that applied directly to the gun. And our sponsor of the uh, the Q and A show offers that service. Uh, contact him directly. <laughs> Ensure if you do that, you're committed. Though there's no yeah. going yes. back. So I yes. understand that you're not going to decide halfway through or afterwards that I don't love this because either you love it or you don't own that gun anymore. Yeah, either way, <laughs> you're living with it or you're selling it. <laughs> um, uh, the rubberized grips uh, from Talon specific, I'm not sure about the local ones that, that Gaz mentioned. I, I haven't tried their stuff. The rubberized ones seem to last fantastically well. And... Uh, like I said, I didn't really find a massive difference in my ability to shoot the gun, but it is slightly bigger than, than T's, uh, well, the grip area, at least in T's 48. Uh, but I have become quite accustomed to the way that this feels uh, and the way that, that, it, that it carries if it touches skin and things. I, I, I'm quite fond of it. I would probably stick this stuff on. If I'm going to be carrying some other Glock at some stage, I'll probably do the same thing again and apply the same, same treatment because for the money, I think it's, it's well worth it. Um, the other popular grip modification that we see quite often are those uh, slip-on rubber grip condom things um, that pull pe people pull over their grips. My advice to you on those is if you've got one on your gun, uh, reach into probably your right pocket is generally where it's going to be. And you're going to find like a little metal thing that when you fold open has a sharp 
pointy bit with a sharp edge. We call it a knife. Take that thing, cut cut the stupid condom in half so you don't get tempted to use it again, and then throw it across the room as far away from you as you can because they're idiotic and stupid and dangerous. Um, I've seen them, you know, they, they move because they're designed to slide on and off. I've seen them slide down and stop mags going in and out of guns. I've seen them interfere with mag releases. They're just dumb. Don't do that. The biggest issue that I've seen with them is mag releases. You end up getting that thing somehow over the the opposite side to where you have your mag release configured for your Glock, and all of a sudden you can't get the mag out the gun. Um, those things are stupid. I just had a look now. Um, Disney does stock the LT grips, and they manufacture in both the granulate, which is going to be like your sandpaper finish, and the rubber, I think similar to the talons. And if I'm not mistaken, Hailstorm typically have stock of the talon stuff. Hailstorm yeah, does stock the talents. Talent. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had really good results with the talents. I think they're a, they're a solid product. Yeah, my dad runs the talents on his 17 and he's really happy with it. So. And what's nice is you're not married to them. So it's not a case of, uh, you know, it's not like stippling. Once, you, once you've stippled your gun, you're not going to unstipple it. And a lot of stippling jobs don't look as good in the flesh as they do in the pictures. Um, and bear in mind as well with stippling, it, it will soften over time. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's really rough to begin with and people soften it or, or with use it softens. And then you end up in a situation, especially if it's not really, really well done, where you're not actually getting any more traction than you had to start with, especially as I say, if you've got a Gen 4 or a Gen 5 gun. The Gen 3 was a little bit more slippery. Uh, I don't get the logic and I get across, I come across this occasion people go, well, I'll buy the Gen 3 because it's cheaper and then I'm going to go straight to the stippling guys and get it stippled because now all of a sudden you've paid Gen 5 money for yep. a Gen 3 with some stippling. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, uh, some of the other things that we, we may want to hit on is um, some of the aftermarket things that may actually enhance the gun. Uh, things like bag releases. Um, things like sights, things like uh, magwells. Where do you guys want to start? Uh, well, I mean, we can start on the audio gaming test. Mag releases. Uh, I uh, I'm not a big fan of extended controls in a self-defense gun. Um, I don't like extended mag releases. I don't not like extended slide stops. I don't like extended very much on a self-defense gun. Um, because they, they're just more likely to get hit when they shouldn't be. Uh, on my Gen 3 guns, I run the, the factory 6351. Not that I have Gen 3s anymore, but when I did the, the, the so-called FBR mag release, Gen 4 and Gen 5, I, I, I run the, the, the FBR mag release as well. It's a little bit sort of, on the Gen 4 and Gen 5, it's not really longer. It's kind of fatter, but not. There's just a little bit more body to it. Uh, it's still not long enough that it's going to get bumped loose. And I've had that happen in some aftermarket mag releases where it gets bumped in the holster and the mag comes loose. It's the, the factory FBI doesn't do that, but gives you a little bit more to hit on. Um, competition guns, uh, most of my competition shooting with Glocks has been in production so or, or IDPA SSP. So I've just run factory mag releases with that as well. But I know Gaz runs a slightly different setup there. Yeah, so all of my carry gun stuff, I also run the FBI mag releases. That seems to work the best for me. And then in competition, I can run either the FBI mag release or the thing that I've got the most 
success out of or the most consistency with is the Vickers Tactical Extended Mag Release, which isn't an excessive extension on the mag release, but it seems to bring the biggest portion of the mag release sort of outward from the left-hand side of the frame a little bit, most importantly, more rearward towards the the backstrap of the gun, which suits me fine. I don't have particularly long thumbs. I don't know if you could class them as thumbs. So that works really well for me. And they've been they've been super reliable as a mag release. They uh, I haven't had any issues with them. They work really really well. And obviously they're not going to break your bank. They are polymer. Doesn't really matter. I don't think they have to be aluminium or any other sort of material for them to be better. I, I think that so when we're talking mag releases on on blocks, um, there are some metal options the same way that you have some metal guide rod options and things. Um, typically, if you're running Glock mags. You probably want the polymer mag releases because one, they'll eat your magazines less, and two, your frame will last longer. There is a downside to running metal mag releases in in clocks. Um, sometimes we we discussed. Well, we we haven't released the episode yet, but we discussed the Shield Arms magazines for a Glock time travel. Time travel. <laughs> but uh, we 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 do mention that. Uh, for those mags, you may require, you probably do require a metal mag release um, and you may require something that changes the geometry slightly so that mags feed reliably. Um, <clears throat> I'm running a, <laughs> a Vickers Tango Down uh, mag release, I believe, on this gun, which is not an extended. It's just, it's just got a slightly different profile. It's slightly rounded. Um, I didn't like it when I put it in here. It's sort of, it's grown on me. Um, I don't think it's worth the money over the factory one. I don't think it's given me anything. I, I bought it as an experiment. Um, at the same time that I did that, I also purchased, um, and I don't remember if they were factory Glock or if they were Vickers too, but I purchased the Ambi extended um, slide stops, slide release. Regen 5? Yes. Show me. No, they're not on this gun. That's uh, what I'm going to say now. Um, they lasted about half an hour. So the, the mag release I put in and I was like, mm, I'm not sure if I like this. That thing I put in and I was like, fuck that. It's going back in the box. <laughs> I, I hated it. It interfered with my grip on the gun, specifically with my, my strong hand thumb. When I stick my finger and you guys can't see this, but Terry can see when I stick my finger in register, which is where it lives if I'm not shooting, it like it, it annoyed the absolute fuck out of me. And then with my other hand, I found that because of where my thumb goes, my weak hand, I was causing the gun to either lock open or not lock open. Mm. Um, I hated that. That that literally it probably was in the gun for half an hour. I, uh, That's actually I, a good point mm. on the extended slide stops is to make sure that you test your the way you shoot, the way you hold your gun, and that when you put these extended controls on. So for me, most of your competition model Glocks come out with an extended slide stop and typically an FBI mag release, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and now I no, run not a, on the Not on the Gen 4s or 5s. The Gen 3s came with an extended mag release. Okay. I think we just fitted uh, FBIs to your guns because you're special. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, so it does come with the extended slide stop. So make sure that you're testing that because I've gone away from running the extended slide stops on that to running the normal profile ones with much better reliability and consistency. So just keep that in mind. 
I also found that the extended slide stop slide release didn't actually give me anything. Um, because when I'm locking the gun open, I have no problem using my right hand thumb to lock the gun open. But when I'm using it as a mag release, I use my left hand thumb. And honestly, running the extended gave me absolutely nothing over the, the standard and caused me to have issues with the gun that I never had up to that point. Uh, yeah, my experience with extended slide stop has been exactly the same thing. For me, if I put an extended slide stop on a gun, it's never going to lock open. With a standard slide stop on the gun, it'll occasionally lock open, but it's not reliable. With an extended slide stop, it never locks open, which defeats the entire object of having the extended slide stop. Uh, more concerning for me, it hasn't happened to me because my grip's pretty high, but I've seen enough people where it's very concerning and that's the opposite. We're halfway through a mag under recoil. They're bumping it up and locking the gun open with rounds in the mag. I don't mine see was, the... Mine was yeah. inconsistent. I, I fluctuated between the two for some reason on that particular profile. I've heard that about you. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I would I would suggest not fitting that to to your gun. Um, and if you are one of the people who carries a G thirty four or something like that, I'd stick a standard slide stop in it. I, I think you uh, you're just setting the gun up more for success. Agreed. <clears throat> so let's talk about some some other aftermarket things that some guys do in their gun. Um, shall we go to the front of the gun? Uh, aftermarket recoil springs, aftermarket uh, guide rods. Um, both captive and non-captive. So, I mean, there's there there are some metal options and a lot of guys think that they need to have like brass or titanium or something in the front of their glocks. And uh, there's obviously some downsides to that because <laughs> you're, you're beating up surfaces that weren't originally intended to have that material knocking about against them. Um, I don't no. like those. I don't find that they give me anything that is that is beneficial. Uh, I think if I had to tune the recoil springs of my Glocks, which I, I haven't found a reason for me to do that. How's the might. recoil spring? Tuned. Get tuned. Um, <laughs> All the tuned. If I, <laughs> if I had to mess with recoil spring weights, I would probably need some form of an aftermarket um, takedown uh, recoil spring uh, guide rod assembly. But... Even in that instance, I probably tried to find something that was, I don't know if they exist, but something that, that has a similar material design to what the Glock was as opposed to going to like seriously hard metals. Um, but you can, on a Gen 3, what you can do is just take the normal polymer one and pull the plug out the front. There um, we go. And that's a function. Uh, oh, and you could put that in with an adapter in a Gen 4 or a Gen 5. I, I've messed around with the recoil springs a little bit as well. You know, yes, you do a little bit, less perceived recoil if you're if you're running a, a lighter recoil spring um on a carry gun i'd much rather have a recoil spring that may make sure that the gun closes if the round's a little bit boogered up or if there's some guns or something on the gun stopping it closing up uh, and once again on a carry gun i'm not super concerned about losing 0 0.03 of a second on a split um I, i'd much rather have a gun that works even on competition guns, once again, you know, we've seen on, on the 40s, the 40 needs a fair amount of spring to work reliably. That's why Gen 4 exists, kind of. Um, so we, we, we've seen it where guys mess around with lighter setups in their 40s, and for a, a while it's great to shoot. But if you're not religious about changing those recoil springs and regularly sort of 
you know, some of those setups, you're looking at wanting to change a recall spring every thousand rounds, uh, which is not something most people are, are willing to do. Uh, you, you lose all the time you made up with having a gun that was slightly softer shooting by having a gun that has malfunctions. Um, and then we bitch and moan about everything except the bit that we changed. So <sighs> on a carry gun, I think it's a really stupid idea. Uh, on a competition gun, there are benefits, but you need to be careful because there are some cons that come along with those. And I think Gaz has messed around with that a fair amount as well. Yeah, I've gone through the process recently of fiddling with recoil springs and that in my Glock 35s. Um, more from the the interest side or the, the willingness to learn perspective. So for a couple months, I ran with the a single steel guide rod, uh, Tony Systems, which is actually quite a, a nice guide rod. It's well made and works well. Um, I ran different spring rates. I ran from a 13 all the way up to a 15 pound with a 40. The 13 pound worked, but I was very concerned about how often I'd have to change the recoil spring, probably every 1,000 to 1,500 rounds. So for me, depending on the month, that might mean I'm going through two recoil springs a month. And obviously, on top of that, you've got the reliability concerns. And obviously, the lighter you go on recoil spring, the higher your slide velocity is, the more your slide slams into the frame, et cetera, et cetera, reducing that wear. 40 is not a nice caliber in terms of how long guns last and what they do to shooters. But recently, the point that I'm getting to is that Recently, over the past couple of weeks, I've started leaning back towards my OEM dual-nested Gen 4 guide rod for my Glock 35s because when I watch the videos of myself shooting, I'm not sure that that Emantec 15-pound recoil spring is actually doing anything that is significantly beneficial to my shooting, and it might be making me do something new that's actually slowing down my shooting and potentially having an adverse effect on my accuracy. So what I found on a slightly further distance is that I was having to drive the gun harder to get it back on the target after I fired a shot. So what that ultimately means is that I'd have to float the gun back down onto the target. And if I compare that video with the OEM recoil spring, it looks like the gun's recoiling more, but at the same time, the gun's actually returning better to where it was before I fired the shot. And from that, I'm getting better accuracy and I'm getting a slightly better split time on the competition side. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, consistent return is an important thing um, that there are ways to gauge it um, to, to see what happens uh, in, in, in sort of square range shooting of targets to see what happens. Um, how much the gun lifts is basically inconsequential as long as you don't have to do work to get it back um, or have to do minimal work to get it back. Uh, one of the things to bear in mind with, with screwing around with aftermarket recoil springs if you're buying a, a captive Gen 4 or Gen 5 spring directly from, from, uh, from Glock, they're generally pretty good and pretty consistent in terms of the poundage that you're getting. Where I have had, and this was not for Glocks, but I've had for 1911 springs that were brand new out the packet that were no good. They were nowhere near the rated um, weight. And like the gun didn't work. They look fine. They're brand new. They come out the same packet as other springs that are fine. Bear in mind that if you're going to stuff around with aftermarket springs, you're probably every time that you're going to change those springs, even if you're putting in what you think is the exact same thing, you're probably going to need to do a little bit of testing to make sure that that gun is actually reliable and functional. Um, the the other thing to bear, bear in mind, 
with, with, with a Glock versus when you're running a 1911, a 2011, a CZ, something hammer fired is on, if you're running a 1911, your mainspring is a big part of what keeps that gun closed. You've got the force to the hammer. Um, the shape of your firing pin stop can have a huge effect on how, how aggressively that gun opens and how long it stays closed. Um, you know, even on a on, on a shadow, you, you have the same thing, or a CZ or a Beretta or whatever. You've got the force. You've got two springs. You've got the recoil spring, and you've got the the, the main spring working in conjunction. With a Glock, you don't have that. You don't have a recoil spring. In, I mean, a, a main spring in action. You've just got a recoil spring. So messing around with that, that it's not going to be exactly the same principles as messing around with those springs in a 2011 or a or, or a shadow or something like that. So that's something to bear in mind that it's not just a case. Yes, put an 11-pound spring in your 9mm, the gun's going to feel super flat. Uh, and if you're shooting 128 power factor ammo, it's not going to be a challenge. But when you shove in your 149 power factor carry ammo um, and you haven't changed the spring for a little bit and you haven't lubed the gun, um, that's all things that are co combined to make the gun, once again, as we said at the beginning of the show, less reliable than it comes out of the factory where it's designed to work under all sorts of conditions with all sorts of ammo. Uh, whatever tuning you're doing there, and, and the same applies to other guns as well, you're generally tuning that to a particular type of ammunition. Um, maybe not an exact load, but a, a rough sort of power factor and, and that sort of thing. Um, you You wouldn't take... Your, you know, your shadow with a freaking eight-pound recoil spring and bang a whole lot of plus B plus stuff through it. Uh, and we need to bear that in mind with the Glock as well. If you're going to be putting silly little competition springs in, they're going to have an effect on on what that gun will take, uh, durability-wise and reliability-wise. Also, bear in mind that the poundages are not directly interchangeable yep. because of what Eric said. Because you have multiple springs in some guns and you have single springs in other guns, and I, I don't mean like. You have a single spring in your in your your recoil spring for for your Glocks. You might have the dual captive, but you don't have a secondary spring that also needs to get comp compressed. Other than the, the recoil assembly, recoil spring assembly. Um, so don't look up online and you see guys like me running an eleven or a twelve pound spring recoil spring in a twenty eleven shooting really hot forty ammo, and go. I'm going to put a twelve pound spring in my Glock forty. That's probably not going to work because I've got like a twenty two or twenty three pound mainspring and quite an aggressively shaped uh, uh, firing pin stop in those guns to make that work and, and make that shootable. Um, in the Glocks, you're probably going to be running slightly heavier to quite a bit heavier recoil springs in general, because they have to do not, not the, just soaking up the recoil um, of the gun, unlocking, staying locked, unlocking and cycling, but they also have to do double duty in, in returning the gun to battery where with hammer-fired guns, we typically keep the gun locked and soak up recoil with, with the hammer, the, 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 the firing pin stop shape, and the mainspring, and your recoil spring is basically just returning the gun into battery. Um, that's, that's a vastly different job uh, between the two, even though they have the same name, they're still called the recoil spring. Vastly different function. So yeah, and on the, mind. on the Glocks with the recoil springs, the lighter you go, the more you increase your risk of the gun actually not. It will still recoil. Obviously, your slide velocity is going to go up and up as you go lighter on recoil spring, but you need to be cautious of at what point your gun stops locking up. In other words, at the end of the cycle, when it's feeding around in, 
Is it still closing up entirely? In other words, is it closing up to 100%? That's the biggest issue with light to recoil springs on the Glocks. And then bear in mind as well that if you've got a Wolf, an ISMI, an Ementech, and a Tony Systems 14-pound spring, and each of them is advertised as a Glock 14-pound spring, I can almost guarantee you all four of those springs will be substantially different. Uh, so that piece of information is is important as well. Generally, if you're buying a good quality spring like a Wolf spring, their various 14-pound springs are generally going to be a pretty similar. As Corne mentioned, sometimes, especially with some manufacturers, that's less likely. But you you know, if, if so-and-so is using a Wolf spring and you've got an ISMI spring, that data might not be interchangeable. You you your your 12-pound ISMI spring, and I'm just using that as a silly example, may be similar to my 14-pound wolf spring. So be careful messing around with that. Once again, my advice on a carry gun, worry about more important things. On a competition gun, you can you can mess around if you need to. That's for sure. Totally agree. Uh, so last thing on, on recoil springs before we move on. Um, remember that the lighter you go, the less sort of dwell time you're going to have um, to feed new rounds because your slide is going to be reciprocating faster. Um, so you may run into either consistent issues of your gun not feeding reliably or ejecting reliably, or you might run into inconsistent issues of the gun not ejecting or feeding reliably. If you're going to mess around with this stuff, you need to test it for your competition guns. And as we said, for your, for your carry guns, we, we don't recommend that you mess with this stuff. Leave it alone. It works out the box and it works perfectly. So... <clears throat> Um, now, the part that guys talk more and more about changing all the time now is, uh, is and I, uh, it's peculiar to me here because of our laws, but guys who want to put aftermarket barrels in their guns, um, you know, especially sort of bunny ears match braid barrels. Uh, a couple of things to bear in mind with that. One, in South Africa, you're going to have to relicense that like it's a whole new gun. Um, Generally, on a lot of those, to try and make them more accurate, they, they tighten up the tolerances, which means they're less reliable because there's no free lunch. Uh, and if you can outshoot uh, a current production Glock barrel, especially a Gen 5 one, you're a hell of a shooter. Um, you know, my, my Gen 517 is quite comfortably a two inch, 25 year old gun. Um, I'm not necessarily a two inch, 25 year old shooter. Uh, I'm not, you know, that, that barrel is, and, and if you look at, at a couple of guys who've done tests in the States where they've taken a whole lot of barrels, oftentimes a lot of those aftermarket barrels aren't any more accurate than the factory barrels. So Gen 3s and Gen 4s are, I mean, Gen 4s and Gen 5s are generally a little bit more accurate than Gen 3s. Um, but even most Gen 3s with, with reasonable ammo are going to shoot well enough that the mission and, and the potential trade-offs of running an aftermarket barrel don't make any sense to me. Yep. Especially with our licensing. Mm. Makes no, no sense. Um, so looking at the Glock that I have in my hand, shall we go down to the bottom and uh, talk about uh, sort of magwells? Um, you get some, some crazy stupid ones like the one I have on here. Uh, and you get some more sensible ones that are uh, more carry-friendly. Um, so what I found with the Gen 5s, and you know, I haven't shot nearly as many rounds through Gen 4s or Gen 3s as I've shot through Gen 5s. Um, Gen 5s don't need them. Like I reload my gun just fine with or without this. Um, 
Gaz is showing me his competition gun. Uh, I think competition guns are maybe slightly different. Is is he's beaten it? Let's just say he's beaten it. <laughs> what she said. The uh, the stock guns work just fine. Um, I don't think you need a magwell on them. Um, I think one of the, the the places where a magwell, if it's a tiny little thing that doesn't change your your, your carry profile, where it might be beneficial, is on Gen fives that still have the front cutout like mine does, if the cutout bothers you. Now, the cutout never bothered me. I didn't see it as a problem, but I know some guys have, have some problems with the cutout and uh, specifically pinching pinky fingers during reloads because the finger ends up in that, that cutout. Um, a, a small magwell that, that just plugs that might be, might be appropriate for your gun. Uh, but beyond that, I don't really see a need for them on carry guns. Um, competition guns, it's a faster reload. And you don't lose anything for having it. Bearing in mind that it, once again, in some competitions, they're going to change division. Um, yeah. So if you're trying to shoot IPSC production or IDPA SSP, um, you can't add a magwell. I've also seen a couple of aftermarket magwells where they 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 grip the frame tightly enough that mags don't drop free, uh, and that once again starts defeating the object of having a magwell. It's a bit like the extended slide stop and the slide that doesn't lock open. Uh, you know, guys stick a, a magwell on and then you've got to rip the mag out with your weak hand. So check that with any mod like that. Test it thoroughly. Yeah, Gen 5, my Gen 5 reloads about as fast as my STI used to. Um, and even the Gen 4, you, you, you're feeding a relatively tapered sort of mag into a magwell. I, I get on a Stana gun that that little bit makes a difference. Um, on a carry gun... <sighs> It, it does add more to hide, um, and uh, I'm not too sure how many super extended high-speed speed reloads you're planning on doing in, in all these gunfights that you're going to get into. Yeah, I tend to agree. I've never had a, um, a specific use, nor have I felt that a magwell on a carry gun is necessary, like on an covered. One thing that I did like, though, is on my Gen 4... I'm prone to reloading off the backstrap or the back side of the magazine well. So putting in the Glock OEM lanyard loop, which is essentially a grip plug, made quite a big difference for me. It didn't add bulk to the carry. It didn't affect my reload. Well, it affected my reloads for the good um, because I wasn't getting stuck in that small cutout at the bottom of the grip or frame. So that made a difference for me. Uh, and then on competition side, I like running an aluminium magwell. It doesn't have to be a super big flare bucket type, super fast, like I can throw the mag more or less at the gun and the magazine will go into the gun magwell. So I'm running the Tony Systems at the moment, their standard magwell, which is big enough, it's strong enough, it fits onto the gun really well, it doesn't deform the polymer or the frame at all. Obviously, that could depend on, on your gun or what's done to it. Keep that in mind. So I've enjoyed the Tony Systems. Uh, I ran an ALG for a while, which is also really nice. Um, from the competition side, they're nice. Obviously, make sure that they're going to fit into the division and the sport that you're involved in. Yep. Uh, check how big they are before you purchase them. Um, I have a Dawson Ice on my uh, on my 19 at the moment. It started as a joke. Um, it is massive. Um, and not only is what it massive, say? what I found is uh, it, it actually interferes with my grip on this gun because the bottom shelf that, that it creates on the front of the magwell sits up too high and I'm compressing my, th my, my three fingers on my strong hand 
in order to to grip the gun. Uh, I would I would shy away from this quite heavily on a carry gun. Now, I don't carry this gun at the moment, so it's still on here. But if I have to carry this gun again, uh, or I choose to carry this gun again, this thing's certainly coming off of it. Um, it's it's and if I go to do training with this gun, this thing is also coming off of it. It's on here at the moment. It's a bit of a joke. <laughs> um, so that covers sort of magwells. We've covered grip tape. We've covered triggers and trigger shoes. We've covered stippling and undercuts. Uh, we've covered recoil springs. Um, we've covered extended controls. I guess that the the other sort of standard thing that we need to cover is is, is sighting systems. Um, the stock Glock uh, plastic placeholders are perfectly serviceable for most people. I choose to change mine to something else. Uh, I find that I shoot some of the some of the other sites a little bit better, but that's not. I've heard a lot of guys saying I'm not buying a Glock because it comes with those stupid little plastic sites. Those things are perfectly fine. You can shoot those things. I shot them for quite a while while I was breaking this gun in. No problems. Um, they work. Uh, I personally prefer something that is a night sight. That could be a, a, a Glock night sight, or it could be something like the uh, Trigicon uh, HD XRs that I run on, on my Glock. We're going to get to that in a moment. Um, there are many different um, sort of sight profiles and things available for the Glocks. Most of them work fairly well. The, the thing that I will say is, uh, on the rear side to get someone with a with a side pusher or something to install it for you. Um, the correct tooling. Yeah, you, you you can do the the murad with a rubber mallet um, and a punch. That works. Uh, I, I'm not recommending you go that route. Uh, and on the hundreds of sites like that. Yes, but <laughs> that is you. Um, I have seen some dudes wreck shit because they thought they could do it. I've fitted some sites like that too. And it worked. I wouldn't recommend that anyone else goes and does it. Get someone with a side pushing tool. Uh, yeah, but even with a side pushing tool, it can be devastating to a slide. Mm. In yeah, the wrong hands, up, any tool can break anything. Slides, exactly. slides have been cracked, and not just on Glocks. I mean, slides, the HKP30, apparently, was it was quite easy to crack if you put it in the slide pusher wrong. Um, so, yeah, it's once again one of those things that you need to be a little bit careful with. Uh, if you're going to mess around, the site things, yeah, the factory sites aren't aren't amazing. Um, the first time I ever shot IDPA Master under the old hard classifier was with a gun with factory plastic sites. Uh, I think a lot of people use them as an excuse as well. Um, so uh, if you want to change your sites, you really should be running a red dot, otherwise you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to run old-fashioned bumpy humpy things. Uh, yeah, find something that's not going to cut the shit out of you. And if it's a carry gun, I prefer tritium. Uh, if it's a competition gun, I prefer fiber. And a plain black rear on either. Yep. And a red dot. And a red dot. Because it's 20, 20 people. Make sure, you fit, make sure you fit your front side properly on Glocks. Um, I think we've mentioned this in quite a few shows. I've spectacularly lost quite a few of them. Um. <laughs> thoroughly cleaned, thoroughly degreased. Blue Loctite, 24 hours minimum to set. Yep. And the important bits in that is thoroughly cleaned and degreased. Because it doesn't matter how much Loctite you use and how long you leave it for 24 hours exactly. As stupid as that sounds, because uh, it is stupid. Um, the way I said it, at least. 
If it's not properly degreased, that's not going to fucking stay. It's going to come flying off the gun at some stage. Okay. So, so if it is properly degreased and you don't leave it to set properly, it's it'll also, also be a challenge. Exactly. So, yeah. Do, do, do all those things. Make sure that's properly fitted. Um, I think, Gaz, yeah. you run RISCOM sites on your competition guns. Yeah, I'm running the RISCOM fiber optic competition sites on my competition guns. There was a lot of competitions in one sentence. <laughs> you compete yeah, so with when, yourself. When, when <laughs> I was shooting the 19 in, in matches, I was also running the RISCOM uh, fiber setup. They're good sites. Fantastic. Yeah, they really did hit them out the park with those. those are, that is a, a really solid site setup that they've, they've put together there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I really my like my original set that went on uh, Gaylord One's now running about fifty thousand rounds. Hmm. That's it. Oh, they they obviously going to be due for some love and replacement sometime soon. But I mean, they they've been spectacularly good sites. Yeah, and at the price, I mean, I don't know what they cost these days. But when I bought my original set, they were under a grand. Well, yeah, I think they're for, for front and rear. Like I, I don't think they would have gone up much. But if even if they had gone up. Like unbeatable price for for an op, for for sites that are just fantastic. Um, and Gaz makes an excellent point there. Sites don't last forever. Um, if you've got tritium sites, tritium wears out. But even non-tritium sites, front sites get rounded, they get dinged. Um, you, you know, don't you, even steel sites, not just the plastic sites people like to bitch about. Um, sites are something that. For best results, you're probably going to want to change. It's not going to have to be an annual thing, but as they start getting dinged up and, and that sort of thing. Yep, exactly. Uh, just something else to, to mention on the sites, um, red dots excluded from this. Um, I wouldn't run um, adjustable sites on my carry gun. For matches, adjustable sites may be beneficial. Uh, maybe. On your carry gun, fixed sights is a is a, is a is a more reliable option um, because I've seen rear sights fail in all sorts of spectacular ways. Uh, the the Dawson Glock adjustables are are pretty tough and durable. Uh, okay, I haven't seen those. those. So if you are going to run adjustables on a Glock, that would that would be my my sort of go to. I've seen a couple of others that, as you say, are. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're fragile, they sit high, they get knocked out of place, but the Dawson's have worked pretty well for some hard work stuff, hard use stuff. I'll actually go look at those. I, I don't need My sights are adjustable because they're dots. <laughs> That's why I said red dots excluded from this. <laughs> Sorry, guys, you going to say? Yeah, just a disclaimer on the adjustable sights. If you're going to be running a Glock 35 in IPSC standard division or any division that has a box where your gun has to fit in the box, be aware that adjustable sights on your gun, that's probably already going to be a tight fit in IPSC mm. standard division. Your gun's not going to fit the box with adjustable sights. So keep that in mind. Yep. Especially if you're going to Perfect. be running higher capacity magazines, like 17, 18 rounds like I am, then you're definitely not going to fit the box. Makes sense. Um, so let's briefly touch on... Uh, on red dots we did cover them quite well in uh in the uh red dot episode but uh, obviously you get the glock mos system which you can you can buy and you can buy plates and you can just fit sights on the gun to your heart's content um cutting guns is a, is a real option in the country now um 
uh, what are they called? MRST. MRST. MRST is, is cutting blocks now. Um, so, the mine so, as we speak. Yeah, they're cutting two of Terex's guns, but one block at the moment. Um, so cutting blocks, no longer quite as big an issue as it was a while ago in South Africa. There, there is a, a reputable company who can, who can do that for you now. Um, we do like, I think all three of us do like uh, dots. Um, mm-hmm. Not not all of us quite as much as Tarek. Um, <laughs> like I, I still it's like a lifestyle. My, yeah, I, I like my I like my primitive bumps because they match my granddaddy's gun that I like. <laughs> you shoot a black powder pistol. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks stupid with an RMR. So, yeah, it's a, but when you need to like clean your RMR in between, like. Sh- Shoving the black yeah. powder down the fucking muzzle loader. <laughs> like people look at you strangely. Um, I think that probably covers most of the things that are modifiable on, well, that people There's commonly. One modify. other thing okay. I'd like to touch on, please. That's the one that I was about to get to is the, uh, you go. We're going to slide cuts. Yeah, oh, that's what I wanted to discuss. It's currently super fashionable to drill and cut and mangle all sorts of woodpecker holes in the slide of your gun. Um, it looks fantastic on the grams. It shows off the gold spray paint because you couldn't afford the titanium nitride on your barrel. Um, yes, I've seen that. The The <laughs> big issue with it is it's it can have quite a serious effect on the reliability of your gun because you're, you're changing the timing. Um, you're punching through that really nice hard metal treatment on your Glock. Um, you're you're punching wonderful holes for shit to get <laughs> in and out of your gun. Um, and in a lot of cases, I've seen because the guy who did it um, was not necessarily an engineer, shall we say, uh, you manufacture stress risers into your gun so that your gun is more likely to crack. Uh, yep. You know, front serrations, I'm all about front serrations. And if you buy a new Gen 5, you're going to get front serrations. Uh, Cutting holes through slides and that, I think it's a really stupid idea. Um, Yes, it does make the gun nice. It can make the gun nice to shoot if it's properly set up. But once again, um, the trade-offs are so negative. It's it's, as cool as it's going to look on the gram. Don't do it. If and especially in this country where guns are expensive, they're hard to replace. Um, it's 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 not a clever idea. Impress everyone with your shooting, rather. Yep. Um, so, as Derek mentioned, stress accumulation points are a real thing when you you change the uh, the angles and and the the metal that is available within things like slides. And frames, um, lots of gun manufacturers have had issues with stress accumulation points where guns just crack for seemingly no reason. Um, Colt Delta Elite being a, a fantastic example of that. Go, go look that up if you if you need to. Um, their solution to that was really simple and, and sort of, well, simple and elegant because they just cut a piece of metal out to make that go away. And they've done that on, on their guns since then because it, it was a proper fix. But with your individualized slide cuts, you're never going to have sufficient data to figure out where the fuck to do that so that you can make your gun 100% reliable and not crack. Um, if the manufacturer is cutting that stuff into the guns, they're testing those things to failure many, 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 many times to figure out where those points are, and they'll fix it in the factory. Uh, you do it yourself or you get someone to do it. 
they're never going to have sufficient data to to make it not be a problem. It might be a long I'm time till it's a problem, shop. but it it won't. At some point, it's going to be a problem because they don't have the the, the data to back that stuff up. Um, Gaz, anything specific you want to add on on SlideCats? Uh, you. I think you guys have covered most of it already. Obviously, it's just a case of being extremely cautious about it and being willing to play around with that trade-off and the potential consequences of going through that process. But we also need to keep in mind that the manufacturing process of making the slide, it goes through a variety of different processes to get manufactured. And after that, it goes through a variety of different metal, metal treatment and heat treatment processes to get it to a point where the slide's going to have the characteristics that it does in terms of longevity, reliability, durability, that it doesn't burr, burr over from its contact points or impact points from shooting. So you need to keep that in mind. When you start cutting material away, all of that stuff changes, and you, can, you guys have covered it already, but you can expose different stress factors in the material that are going to significantly reduce the durability of that slide. So keep that in mind. It's obviously going to have consequences. It may not have conf- consequences for you on this gun, but maybe the next one you do, it's slightly different. As with, with anything modification-wise, including the, the cutting of things into your slide and things, um, it will never fail if you never shoot it. Hmm. So if it's only for the grams, and you then tell all your friends about this magnificent gun you had for 10 years that never had a single malfunction, never cracked, Nothing like the surface finish didn't even scratch. It was fantastic. But you never took it out the safe after you took the first pictures for the grams. Um, it doesn't count as data. Um, that was a, a safe queen beyond compare. Um, and and fun fact, the most successful Glock shooter in the world is probably Robert Vogel. Um, Robert doesn't cut weight out of his slides. He adds weight to his slides. Yeah, in a very, um, like, Genius way. <laughs> in a hideously <laughs> ugly way. But his, uh, I mean, not on his 9 mold, but on his, four, on his G35, he screws on two big pieces of metal. Um, and he's made a comment along the lines of a national championship has never been won by a Glock with a, a light and slide. Uh, so a man who won production under the old, quite crappy rules, um, shooting a Glock, it's probably worth listening to what he says about to setting up a Glock, maybe. Maybe. That's right. a good point. So that, a lighter slide's not necessarily going to make the gun shoot better. It can make it shoot worse. No. And, and remember that when you, we, we discussed recoil springs earlier, when you change slide weight, you're going to have to change recoil springs um, because you somehow need to get that, that, that newfound, fantastic slide velocity that you've created by like making it lighter. It needs to be controlled. Somehow, heavier springs. So, like you're back to having to mess with a bunch of things to maybe hopefully get a reliable gun for a while. Or what you uh, could do is learn how to shoot. That one's quite, uh, that, that one's challenging. Go to the range, do this weird thing where you dry fire and you go to the range and you train and then you practice and you train and you practice and you dry fire and you don't try and buy fucking skill. Uh, and generally, the people who do that are much better. It sounds like work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fuck. <laughs> I'm going to cut my slide because performance for money. <laughs> I've seen your Magwell, dude. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help. <laughs> Made things worse. Um, you just I have think... to get the mag near the gun. 
Yeah, like <laughs> if you can throw it not towards the gun, but away from the gun, it'll probably still find its way in there. <laughs> <laughs> I went like straight to the, dog, oh, don't, don't worry. <laughs> like a hot dog down a hole. I think that the, the, the last things we need to cover um, are uh, block, um, they're called slide plates. So slide cover plate, yeah. Yep. So you obviously get those really funky ones that have a Punisher logo on them um, that make you shoot better. If it says Molen, Swollen Labia on it, those are. Swollen Labia. Yeah, those, those are the best ones because I've seen guys shoot with those and they didn't hit anything. Oh, no, sorry. That wasn't what I meant to say, but I've seen them. Um, aftermarket slide plates in plates that, that are purely cosmetic are a waste of time and a waste of money. Don't do it. Um, they might actually be distracting if they say a bunch of shit on them that they, they shouldn't have. Gaz is showing me his branded gun and I think in his case, we can excuse him because that slide plate is sponsored. Um, but on your carry guns and things, don't do it. Um, on your competition guns, if it's going to create a lot of contrast, maybe you don't want to do that. Um, there are these magical aftermarket ones called the SCD or the striker control device. Kilt on uh, the streets. We'll get you kilt on the streets and your Glock will look like it's broken. Um, I did a video on this for uh, for the uh, Welcome to the Gun Show Facebook, which I'll link in the show notes for this. Um, I highly rate SCDs. Um, you can absolutely live without them. They're not totally required. I like having them on carry Glocks. Um, I can carry a Glock without them just fine. And I have, if I have the option, I will have one. It adds an extra layer of not safety because that's a that's a misnomer for these things. It adds an extra level of indication that you might be doing something wrong. If you ignore it, it's still going to shoot you. Um, so it's not an added level of safety. It's just an added thing that will give you a little bit of an indication that perhaps something is wrong, uh, that you need to pay attention to. It requires a little bit of training to, to get used to the way that you need to use them. But I rate them highly. I know T rates them. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I, as Kuno said, I don't, think, I don't think they're necessary in that I wouldn't carry the gun without one. Um, but if I've got one, I, I don't see a downside to having it. Uh, it, it's an enabler, not a disabler to quote that Mac. Um, it's, uh, as I say, it, if, if you don't have one, it's not the end of the world. Um, hopefully one day they'll become, when we are working on trying to make them more regularly available here, uh, it's a nice thing to have. Uh, I've got one in the gun I'm holding right now. Yep. I have one in the gun that I'm holding right now too. Um, I think they're well worth the, the, the little bit of money they cost. Um, if you're, if you don't misuse them and think that now magically it won't be able to shoot you because that's not true. Um, and I guess the last thing to mention when we're talking about sort of the, the slide plates, um, you get these things with these little buttons that you can move back and forth Buy them on wish.com. Um, lots of guys call them the happy, the, the happy switch. What we call them in South Africa is the Baba is going to be cuddling you in prison for a long time. Switch. Don't fucking do it. It is stupid and you will get caught. The guys who are involved in investigating that are very, very clever men. Trust me. 
do not fuck around with stupid things like that. It's not worth it. Yep. It's not. It gives you absolutely no real world benefit. And what it does do is it gives you an opportunity to uh, have less control over your anal virginity. Yep. Um, so d- don't do illegal things. Don't do things that are going to make you gun dangerous. Yep. Or Good. potentially unsafe. Yeah. Yep. I think that's, unless you guys are aware of anything else that we need to discuss specifically around block mods. I think we can quickly discuss Seracote. Yes. It is a yes. bit of a modification. We, we have to mention Pit. Yes, yeah. So if you're going to get to go and see Rakota, the only man that I would get to do it in South Africa is Pit at Syracote. What's he called? Syracote SA. Uh, Syracote South Africa, yes. Yeah. yeah. You get a hold of him through shooting stuff. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, he does all my Syracote work. He always has and he always will because I get excellent quality and he understands what he's doing. It is also it is a Glock Armorer. He's a certified Glock Armorer. He's a gunsmith. He's he's an he's an actual artist. Um, he's a weirdo Renaissance man, and we love him to bits. But Pitt knows what he's doing when he works in your gun. Um, I, I've seen I've seen guys seracote over someone's night sights. Uh, yeah, seen it. That is yeah. fantastic. Um, seracote uh, striker channel liners. In place, I, I've seen all sorts of butchery happen. Um, I've not that seen it, that happen from his gun. So, um, if if you are going to get a gun refinished and you do want a cool color, and there's nothing wrong with it, um, it it's going to cost probably cost you a little bit more to go to pit. There's going to be a long waiting list if you want anything except one, you know, sort of a single color. It's worth it, uh, yeah. and so, he's not paying us to say that. Yeah. So I mean, if, does, you, if you want to pass, but we can make an arrangement because I'm a whore. <laughs> so I just want to discuss quickly a couple of the properties of Seracotes. It is a, a spray-on application baked on thingy process. I don't know any of the chemical stuff in that. But essentially, I, I'm pretty prone to rusting my carry guns. It doesn't matter what it is. So I decided to get one of the first guns that are rusted quite badly, Seracoted. And thereafter, even when the holster started to wear through the Cerakote, it's not bulletproof. It does wear through use. There's nothing in this world that will stay on your gun. It won't scratch, wear off, etc. If you're using it, it is going to wear. It is going to scratch. But besides that, when the Cerakote started to wear through, I didn't have the rust coming back nearly as aggressively as what I had before. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And obviously, the nice thing with it is you can sort of go with any color or finish that you want, except for like a, a nickel, bright nickel color, you're not going to achieve that. And you can go with patterns you want, you can go with stencils, and you open to any of that creativity, and you're going to get a superb firearm finish out of it. So it's definitely a worthwhile process. It lasts long, um, and obviously Pitt's a pro at doing it. He's the man. Yeah, so Derek did mention that... Uh... You've seen some some horrible abortions, um, guys doing stupid things with Cerakote. What you need to bear in mind is even when they only Cerakote the bits that need to be Cerakoted, you could still end up with a gun that doesn't work. Um, because no matter what you do, Cerakoting is adding some degree of extra thickness to, to materials and things. And if the person doing that work, even though they might follow the technical specification of the product to the T, 
and they might be only applying it to areas where it should be applied. If they're not aware of the tolerances that make the gun work or make the gun not work, uh, you may still end up with a gun that doesn't work. Um, it will give you that disclaimer too, but the man is fantastic at what he does. Um, and he, he takes, he's done some of my guns too. He takes really good care of making sure that he hands you back a gun that is as good, if not better than what he hand, what you handed him. He makes sure that they work. Um, that's, that's worth every single cent. The fact that you get back a gun that, that still works as opposed to it looks fantastic. Maybe it fires around. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. And obviously with that, just bear in mind that even though you are coating it and it's just changing the surface finish, that after that's done, you should go out and test the gun, make sure that it's functioning correctly, make sure all those things are still working properly. Um, you want to have that insurance that nothing's changed. And obviously, that's always a good idea. And that applies to changing anything in your gun. If you change anything in your gun, you need to go out and make sure that the gun works. Um, you know, if you've changed any sort of part, you know, maybe not sights, but you've got a zero sight. Uh, but if you've made any internal changes to the gun, and if it's a self-defense gun, you then need to go chest your carry ammo in your gun with the changes all over again. Uh, if you want to make sure that it's going to work. Something that I want to just mention before we, we wrap this up is it's, it's not a modification and it's not really changing the gun in any, any real way. Um, team mentioned it briefly earlier. If you're not qualified and you don't have the experience to take a clock down um, beyond field strip, don't do it. Um, there are some things that if you get them in in the wrong order, and some of them are quite easy to get in the wrong order, uh, you end up with a trigger that doesn't reset. Uh, you can have all sorts of other weirdness things where you haven't modified the gun, just haven't put it back to the way that it's meant to be put back. Um, that's also one of the reasons why I would recommend that if you do strip your own carry guns down beyond the field strip, that you're sure to come test them after you've done that because the gun might not work afterwards because you've messed something that is it takes the glock armor three minutes to fix while he laughs at you uncontrollably for two and a half minutes um <laughs> but real issue i've seen it happen if if the youtube glock armor's course was as good as people th thought it was i wouldn't get to fly to austria every year 100 percent, yeah um so uh yeah i hope i hope you guys found that interesting if if, if there was anything you, you didn't think we covered, please let us know and we can try and cover it in a future show. Uh, just on the housekeeping side of things, guys, um, remember we've got the Facebook page, we've got the Facebook group, so interact with us there. If there's topics you want us to discuss, let us know if you've got questions for the Q&A show or if it's a question that we think is too long for the Q&A show that could be a show topic, let us know. If you've got show topics you want us to discuss, let us know. We might not do it. Depends on, on how much we like you. Uh, but but please, we'd really appreciate the feedback. Um, I'm aware of one internet resource in this country that's desperately trying to cut any mention of the show. So uh, if, uh, if you need answers and you don't want someone to delete anything you say about this particular show, you can come onto our Facebook page. You can go to the Defense uh, website. Um, all of those links will be in the in the show notes because that's what our producer so kindly does. Um, and ask the questions, interact with us. We really, really appreciate you guys' feedback. Uh, 
Um, you know, we 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 really are grateful for for whenever anyone says to us um, their thoughts on the show, whenever anyone has any questions and that. So please take advantage of those things that we can control. Um, Facebook, no one really controls Facebook um, except for the aliens. But uh, for now, we we can control the the way the uh, Welcome to the Gun Show Facebook group and Facebook page more than most things, and then obviously the defense of the forum. So please use those as a as a way to keep in touch. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, I agree with Terry completely. Thanks very much to everybody for their support. It's been great. Um, as always, uh, if you have any feedback, you're welcome to give it to us. And if you'd like to ask us any specific questions about this show that maybe we didn't cover, or you want some more tailored advice towards what you want to get out of your guns in competition or defense, or you have any just general queries, just reach out to any one of us three and we'll help you as best as we can. Absolutely. Um, if you have questions that cannot be answered in an audio format, I'm very happy to answer them in video uh, by demonstrating it, provided I have the knowledge required to actually demo that. Uh, if not, we may need to send you off to someone else who, who has the prerequisite experience. Um, Defensive Forum, as Tarek mentioned, that is completely our platform. No one else controls it, and no one can censor you on there. Um, I mean, we can well, delete you if you're being a cock, but beyond that, you're not going to get deleted because you mentioned guns like you can on Facebook. Um, you're not going to get blocked because you posted a photo of your like latest acquisition or whatever. Um, guys are more than welcome. Please share that. And then as we record this episode now, Bear in mind, there's going to be a little bit of a gap between this being recorded and this actually being released. But as we're recording this, we've just passed 500 followers in a couple of days uh, because we've lost our, our like advantage in having a massive uh, number of things pre-recorded because life. Um, we've just passed through 500 followers on Facebook. Uh, well, 500 likes on Facebook. We've got sort of six or 700 followers. Uh, and the show's numbers are growing steadily. And the way the show numbers grow is you guys are telling your friends and it's getting shared around. So please continue that. Uh, if you find any of the content useful, please be sure to share it with your friends um, and share it with your loved ones specifically for episodes like the, the awareness uh, episode, which is, it has been coming from us. It might not mean much, but it has fantastic content in there that, that can really change someone's life or, or perhaps save them from bad situations that they may otherwise get into. Uh, truly appreciate you guys. Hope you found this useful. Are you standing on plastic? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to go exercise diplomatic immunity. <laughs> <laughs>